What connects us is infinitely stronger than what separates us. Together, we will explore connection in all its forms and how feeling connected to ourselves and the world around us is the bridge to fulfillment. Welcome to a new frequency. Welcome to Wavelength. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wavelength Season 2. It's good to be back. Today we have a really interesting topic that comes up a lot in our teaching lives is, but also a lot in conversations that we have with each other. Yeah, today we're tackling the question, is spirituality selfish? And this comes a lot from people in our lives who maybe don't identify as spiritual or don't have a practice that they would call a spiritual practice. And there can be this sense that when we become more focused on ourselves, that actually the extra time that we're devoting to this pursuit is inherently selfish. Mm -hmm. It pulls us away from our worldly duties and, and our work in the world so that we can turn in and think about ourselves more. And I think often when you first step towards a lot of this work, often it comes with a lot of change. And so people in your life may be used to you being a certain way, liking certain things, activities, um, anything like that, shows, books, really anything. And all of a sudden that begins to change and you start to turn a little bit more inward and away from things that people are very used to you enjoying. And that can be a bit bewildering at times for the people around you, whether it's family, friends, loved ones, partners, whoever it may be. Mm. And automatically that inward shift in our culture begins to look quite selfish. And it's funny because as you're talking, what comes up for me is that change is a universal truth. Like it is happening. It's happening with everything in nature. We're always growing. We're always changing. We're always evolving. Uh, but as human beings, we have this amazing capacity to get used to things being a particular way and then to become a little attached to that. Yeah. <laughs> and already, really, we're talking about spirituality as, as we're even leading that in because that really is, for me, without you know staying away from defining spirituality just yet, um, for me, so much of my spiritual practice is about the, the way in which I move with the changes in my life, the way I perceive change and how gracefully I allow uh, myself to, to move through the different seasons in my life. A and yet, um, yeah, that attachment to keep things the way they are, especially when things are going well in our lives, uh, we perceive that a lot when we find a practice that's helping us e evolve uh, more quickly in a particular direction. Yeah. And I think that often to people that may not be as spiritually or personally worked inclined as others, the almost the ideal way is when everything in your life is humming in a very consistent and steady rhythm. And that begins to change quite a lot when you step towards a bit more personal work and um, self-understanding and self-exploration and all of a sudden it's you want things to consistently evolve and change and so I think that the interest in your life being a certain way i.e. steady consistent without change 
all of a sudden shifts itself to be dynamic and nebulous and exciting. It not exciting is probably the wrong word. Dynamic, nebulous, <laughs> and uh, challenging. I guess in lots of ways. Hmm. Yeah, and for me, for me, what's important about having a spiritual practice, being on a path that we might call spiritual, is I guess deciphering what it is we're orientated towards. Like for me, that's a really important part of the discussion around spirituality. So my life feels orientated towards the unknown. I have a deep curiosity and what we've often said on this podcast is you and I connect over uh, the our deep orientation towards seeking. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that idea of seeking can feel like I am lost, I am seeking for something to hold on to, for something to feel connected to. And, and I want to underline that that's not what that the energy of that process is for me at all. It's much more exploring. Yeah, I have a deep curiosity for learning, for discovering. Um, and, you know, to a fault, because it does mean there's a hunger um, towards newness. And... And so for me, spirituality is being orientated towards spirit and towards the things that we don't understand in our lives. I've always been curious about the mysteries uh, of life, that it seems we get close to touching, but never we're never truly on the spot, on and the point. <laughs> when you say spirit, do you sort of mean not matter? Is that your yeah. definition in that circumstance? Yeah, and even I hesitate to define spirit because I imagine so many people listening, uh, it means something different for all of mm. us. And and because it has so many different interpretations, that's part of the curiosity for me. Yeah, That for some people that might mean God, for some people that might mean consciousness, for some people that might mean soul. And in some schools of thought, that's all the same thing. Nature, universe. <laughs> yeah. We all use different sort of words to talk about the thing that is just beyond the grasp of what we already know. Mm. To lean into a little bit of tantric um, language for a moment, your prana shakti is everything that is known to you, all the energy, all the consciousness that you already know and understand, whether you consciously understand it or, or it's slightly subconscious. Everything that is unknown to you is kundalini shakti. It's all the pure potentiality in Mm. life. It is where everything that is manifested in the world comes Mm. from. Everything that is manifested through you, every idea that you have, where does it come from? Mm. Comes from this apparent nothingness. And yet it has to be something relatively uh, if everything is coming from that place. Basically the difference between realised energy and potential energy. Exactly. And so for me, a little while ago, my life just became orientated to that, orientated towards that which I don't yet understand about myself, about other people, about life, about the world. And to me, that's what having a spiritual practice is really about. Uh, It's about continuing to open myself to have new experiences, to feel, and that feels like true science to me, where we know what we know today until we know something different. That's where I love that, you know, my yogic practice and and my love of tantra feels like real empirical science. Mm -hmm. It's this, you know, my teacher often says, you're the lab rat and the scientist. 
you are the one having the experience in your meditation practice, in your yoga practice, in your life, and yet you're observing yourself. Yeah. That idea of looking back at yourself and your experiences, that actually feels deeply spiritual to me. And all of this is subjective as I'm talking. You know, I haven't, we haven't defined spirituality at all so far. I'm, and I'm curious to hear if, if your experience is, is very different to mine. But it feels like those parts to be orientated towards what I don't yet understand, to feel like I'm observing myself through that process. And I want to add a third piece. There's something that does feel devotional about that for me. For me. For others, I feel like you can be deeply spiritual and it not necessarily have a devotional aspect. But the, the direct experiences that I've had in my meditations or in my even eyes open experiences in nature, which have felt deeply connected and like I'm, I'm really going beyond what I know and having a deeper experience with something that feels bigger for me, that has felt sacred that has felt like it touches me in, in a place in my heart. And so more and more that has felt devotional, not like a, even a belief in something or even being devoted to something, but it feels, when I hear people speak of devotion, even in religious senses, it feels like it touches me and it softens me. And so that devotional piece is something I'm forever exploring. And I think in my experience, a lot of that devotion comes from humility mm. and humility in the face of this great scope of experience that we actually struggle to understand and that lack of understanding and possibly even not needing to understand, which has been a massive part of my journey. I think as we've spoken about on this podcast before, so much of what my calling was towards finding some sort of deep essential capital T truth that permeated everything and that was relevant to every single person and was the same for every single person. And through my own exploration, that softened a lot. But the, the understandings that I've been lucky enough to gain and the insights that I've had have come from a place of maybe what I'm looking to understand, I'm incapable of understanding, hmm. or at least the way I ah, am at the, the moment. the ultimate paradox. <laughs> yeah, the way that I am at the moment or the current state of consciousness, consciousness that I'm in or whatever it might be means that those realizations aren't actually available to me. And through that, humility allows me the ability to have a much greater scope of understanding of the pure potentialities that can be realized and that can be understood. Mm. And so when it's not just my five senses interacting with the world, when there are subtler forms of awareness that in my experience have been so honed through meditation and other yogic practices, it allows me to interact with the world in a different way. And it allows me to interact in a way that shows to me that what I can see, feel, smell, touch and taste isn't all that's there. Mm. And when I live and operate from that place, my personal experience of each person and the world as a whole is entirely different. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because even in the simplest way that we can relate to your last point, you know, a dog hears things that we don't hear. Um, exactly. A bat sees or senses things that 
that we don't sense. And even that word that's just come through to sense, it's like awareness is like an amalgamation of all the five senses. Mm. It's like, yeah, when we're able to, it's like the senses seem to be necessary to interact with our physical material world outside of ourselves. It, like the, they're the interface um, that allow us to, to connect with the world beyond us. And then when we turn inward, it becomes something much more integrated and subtle, which we call awareness. Yeah, and one of the words that is obviously part of our title today and is something that we've used multiple times already is the word self, obviously the first half of the word selfish. And I think it's important that we work into this topic by defining what we're talking about when we use the word self. You want me to do that? Yeah, well, you can start, <laughs> then I'll add to it. <laughs> yeah. And so in Vedic wisdom, there's a self with a small s and a self with, with a big s. And the small self is you. And that's not to say that we are not important because it's a small self compared to this other bigger self. But the small self is your personality. It's forever changing. Uh, it is not fixed. Who you are is something that is malleable. Mm. Uh, and so because of that, it's the small self compared to the part of you that is unchanging. Yeah. The part of you that is steady uh, despite any changes that are happening internally within you or in the world around you. Mm. And so there's a part of us that doesn't change. And, and we know that that's true. Again, even if you're listening to this and uh, with a healthy skepticism and you're not someone who identifies as spiritual, there is a part of you that witnesses every change and evolution that happens in your life and in your world. Yep. There's a part of you that sees all of that and, and that's the premise we're working towards, that there is a witness um, that can, can observe all of this change and that potentially there's a place even deeper than that that births that witness. And as an example of those two selves, the one that I often give is when you looked in the mirror at the age of 10, your, every cell in your body was different to the way it is today. The way you look was probably different unless you're 10 and a half listening to this or 11. Um, you know, say you're between, you know, you were 10 and now you're 30. Everything about you probably looks quite different. The, your interests may, be, have, may have completely changed. Your diet, your favorite music, all your traits may have changed. Some of them could be the same, but they also have the potential to change. And yet, when you look in the mirror today, you can still recognize yourself. And so what we're talking about as the small self is the things that have the capacity to change, that are dynamic, that are subject to the natural world and to stimulus. And the capital S self is the awareness that can observe it all and yet still recognize itself completely. Mm. And so this premise that we're working off is that uh, we are all, we are all um, living under a little bit of illusion and uh, this is an old Vedic teaching that there is a certain amount of avidya that all of us experience. And avidya translates to ignorance, which can be a triggering kind of word to associate yourself as or to identify with someone who is ignorant or to call someone else ignorant rather. It's a word that can be uh, quite damaging. But what it means here is that we live in a way where we become so identified with the changing parts of ourselves, our personality, our body, that 
we can ignore the part of us that is unchanging, mm. that part that's just sitting there behind the scenes, um, that we can ignore that. And actually, Patanjali, who's one of the great sages, um, comes from India, uh, he, he wrote the Yoga Sutras, and in there it's a real central premise that one of the major causes of suffering for human beings is that, that very uh, affliction the fact that we orientate and ourselves and become identified so much with body and mind, that which is destined to change and therefore we cannot attach to ourselves in any phase because we know it's going to change. We know we're going to get older. Um, we know our ideas are going to change. Our personality is going to change. That when we ignore the part of us that is steady and stable despite everything that we go through in our lives, that ultimately it causes us to suffer. Yeah. And... Within that, I think it's important to note how much more challenging this is in today's world than it was in Patanjali's time and in sort of the depths of India as well when everything that we are taught and bombarded with, whether it's at school or in modern media or just our general culture, is to identify solely with the body and mind, Mm. to define yourself by exactly how you look, Mm -hmm. by how you think and your style Mm -hmm. and your body and your belief systems and your political parties, whatever it might be, your Instagram account, (laughs) all of these things that are constantly changing and yet we are taught that we have to define ourselves by. And there is not only that, but outside of a meditation practice, uh, potentially a yoga practice and uh, access to these Eastern mysticism traditions, then there is absolutely no ways of engaging with this other part of you. And Mm. it's not cultivated at all. And so it's no wonder that so many of us can often feel lost and really quite confused when we are so deeply identified with parts of us that are change and yet they begin to change. And my sense is on a subconscious level, we all know, and this is backed up by, um, by Vedic understanding that on a subconscious level we all know that what we can see and how we think isn't who we are Mm. and so when that begins to change it becomes incredibly unsettling for us because there is nowhere else to tether ourselves Mm. and there is nowhere else for us to identify with Mm. and why the why we both think that having a yogic or meditation practice is so powerful but also why these things are coming so much to the forefront of popular culture at the moment where people in lots of ways, seem and uh, seem well, yeah, more lost than ever. Mm. Yeah, that the the more uh, we're looking in the mirror and saying this is what's important, what I see looking back at me, um, or the more I, we what we see looking back is is really focused on those outer layers of ourselves. Yeah, it's 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 fraught with some some potential pain. Um, when when that starts to change, um, and so let's talk a little bit about then this this process of okay, we've introduced this premise that uh, what is changing within us, our body, our face, our mind, our personality, that there's more to us than that. Uh, I want to bring in the term koshas, which is something I love to talk about, and. One piece of of yogic wisdom that we get from Vedanta uh, is around these 
these five different layers of self, that an individual, much like an onion, is not just a person. Sometimes we see ourselves as just me. Um, it's just me. And then we start to actually compartmentalize ourselves in a way that ultimately allows us to integrate in a more powerful um, self-identification uh, and that we see that we are made of layers of body, of mind, um, of emotion, of something subtler like, like energy. Experience. Experience, yeah. And, and then deeper layers still where we start to go towards those more unknown, untouched areas that perhaps for some of us awareness doesn't venture to very often. But we're made of all of these different layers. And so practices that invite us to turn inward allow us to have that experience of awareness becoming more and more subtle as the nervous system de-excites. And we start to drop our awareness into these subtler places within ourselves. So what we're talking about, whilst it starts as a premise that you have to step towards and explore, ultimately it becomes about direct experience. That the more you close the eyes and you go deeper into yourself, the more you are not ignoring that part of yourself anymore. And that we're starting to, the premise is that we're moving from small self to big self. That when you start to touch the deeper parts of yourself, you're actually going to experience that steadiness. Mm. When we say that it is unchanging, that it is steady, there are other qualities that are often attributed to that space. Often it is a space that is spoken about as the source of joy, beauty, creativity, wisdom. Mm. And so when we touch that part of ourselves, we feel like we are filled with those qualities. And we begin to bring some of those qualities back into our waking and daily lives as well. And, and so, into that small self. Yes, exactly. The into more how times we think and feel and move and breathe. And yeah, the more times that we touch it, then the more we begin to identify with it. Mm. And it's no longer the more flippant or wavy parts of ourselves that we identify, the ones that are subject to change, and all of a sudden it's these parts that are steadfast and they become the, the foundations that we begin to build our life upon. And they're much more firm and much more solid than the ones that potentially can get blown over with a few changes of friendship groups or ideas or times of the world. Yeah, and yet the direction that we're talking about, moving from the outside world, turning into yourself, is really, as we're talking, by definition selfish. It's that idea of I am prioritizing myself, even whether initially that's more prioritizing my more superficial layers of self, because we've broken that word down um, as a spectrum. But ultimately, that idea of turning in, let's say that's true. It is selfish when we look at the word selfish as being orientated towards yourself. Uh, and that turning inward means that you're spending more time in your life. You know, the, what, what we always recommend is 20 minutes twice a day uh, uh, as a, a really great baseline to start with, that you're turning in and focusing on yourself. From the outside, you look like you're not doing anything. Yeah. You look like you're not contributing anything to society. Uh, but you're spending 20 minutes... Uh, going deeper into your inner world, yeah, that's inherently selfish. Yeah. And I think that's often why this process that we're talking about, this sort of, I guess, self-realization of recognizing that there is more to you than meets the eye. And I feel like everyone that's listening to this 
Odds are that you have some inclination or some interest in the subject matter that we're talking about. And that often comes because you've had this experience that is sort of commonly, I guess, said as, as waking up. And personally, I don't think it's necessarily that immediate and that quick. I think there are small moments that lead to an expansion that occurs. And then there are other practices and other uh, things that you can do to continue that expansion. But generally, when that happens, you want to turn more inward and away from the world to actually understand the process that you're going through. And why I think such a common analogy for this process is the whole caterpillar cocoon butterfly one Mm. as well, how maybe initially we are caterpillars and then through this turning inward that we're talking about, through this uh, self-exploration that can seem and probably is selfish because we are turning away from the world and towards ourselves. that is that cocoon period. That is where we are re-envisaging and reimagining who we are based on a different level of self-experience. Mm. Yeah. And so we've said, yeah, it is selfish in, in the sense that you're focusing more on yourself uh, when you're doing this work uh, of starting to turn inward. But then let's look at this idea of selfish as whether it is ultimately selfish. Selfish in the sense that you care about yourself by forsaking others or by forsaking your, um, your role in life. And for me, categorically, it is not selfish in that way. But I think sometimes spiritual practices get a little bit of a bad name in our modern world for people that might think that they are inherently selfish. Uh, if you start to become identified as someone who is spiritual. Mm. You know, this this work is really about I'm stripping back the layers of who I am not in order to get closer um, to a part of me that is more loving and more inherently wise and inherently creative and inherently accepting of all others. And I think is it's important that to note as well, when we strip away those old layers not to just replace them with new ones that maybe smell a little bit more like incense and sage. Exactly. I think there's so, I mean, let's just be honest. I think we monetize spirituality and spiritual practices. Um, It has become a bit of a business. And yeah, as you just said, having the right meditation cushion and, and having the right incense to burn while you meditate, that has nothing to do with spirituality. It might be a beautiful ritual and if the intention is around creating um, a beautiful space in order to to practice, I think that that is wholly good. But when we start to feel like, oh, if I don't have that meditation cushion, then I'm not really meditating the right way, that's a subtle attachment maybe to more superficial, less uh, valuable. And more more identification with the... Uh, I guess, materialistic side of what spirituality looks like opposed to the lived experience of what it is. And I don't think that just because you burn sage and incense or anything or do yoga or meditate that you can't be spiritual. I do all of those things and I make them an important part of my of my practice and of my ritual. And um, But I think it's when they become more important than the personal work and they become more important than how you are in the world opposed to how you look to the world is when the problems can begin to occur. Yeah, when your spirituality becomes another facet of your personality that you're amplifying to others, 
potentially it's just a, a, another layer of ego. And, you know, I don't want to say that ego is a bad thing. In fact, this is the very essence of what we're talking about, that your ego is your uniqueness. Mm. It's, it's your story. It's part of what makes you, you. You and I are different from one another on yeah. a superficial level. Spirituality says on the deepest of levels, we are one in the same. Yeah. Uh, we're just many forms of the one. Um, now, that's a premise that we all have to explore when we step towards a spiritual path. And for me, that is spirituality. You you aspire towards understanding that experience, towards um, uncovering whether that experience is true for you. Mm. That is spirituality. When we start to become identified as someone who is on that path and we try and amplify that in the world and wear that as some sort of badge... This is where I think it's it's fraught with a little bit of um, of challenge and might potentially just become another source of suffering. That ultimately, moving from that smaller self, our more ever changing, physical manifest part of who we are, to the more unchanging parts of us, we need less validation. Yeah, we need people to. Um, to I guess we don't need to glorify that process. Actually, it's a stripping back and it's a simplifying uh, in my experience of that. And so when we see in the world people identifying as spiritual and really amplifying that, I think for someone who's not on that path, um, for someone who who isn't focused in that direction, it might seem like arrogance. Mm. Uh, and, and that's when I talk about that spiritual ego developing. And perhaps that's part of the process. I'm a person in the world. Suddenly I start to turn inward. I start to have what I define as deeper experiences of myself. And I become identified with someone who has those deeper experiences mm. before I can let go of that identification too. And I want to celebrate that, which is completely understandable. And when those experiences do occur, they are often powerful and profound and it's no wonder that often we want to share them and especially if it has created and enacted a very deep positive change in our lives maybe we want to in some way inspire others to follow a similar path Mm. and I think Mm. that is incredibly admirable and understandable the the challenge begins to occur when what you're doing is potentially leading towards more separation than oneness. Yes. Yeah. And and that's when I think embodiment is an important word to drop in. And sometimes we talk about these similar ideas because that process feels the same to me. It's like, here I am, this is who I'm embodied as today. And then I go and I have some experience that I feel is deeper. I learn something about myself, about life. I mine that that unknown space, and then I bring it back into my body, into my personality, into who I am um, in a way that doesn't necessarily define me. Um, But that embodiment is everything. If Mm. we're having these deep experiences, peak experiences, um, experiences with consciousness, and we're doing this this work just to have those experiences and to come back and say, here's my new... Um, girl guide patch um, mm. I, I just had this experience I think we're missing the point mm. um, but if we're bringing back those experiences and they allow us to come closer to seeing that all people on the planet are tethered are united at, at, at a deeper level in fact all things in nature then I, for me we're, got, we're moving in the right direction yeah. so it's 
It's how you embody these deeper spiritual principles that are ideas when they're just piece of, on a piece of paper, but actually we discover we can understand them more when we close the eyes or when life teaches us about them. And um, I think that's important. Yeah, I agree. And I think that within the theme of our episode today, it it sort of highlights that it definitely has the capacity to be selfish. As with anything, any pursuit has the capacity to be selfish. It depends on the individual's approach and really the individual's intention of what it is. And so when that initial sort of chrysalis period of cocooning begins to happen and you do turn inward, there is definitely the potential and the chance to stay very inward and to make it about having more and more of these experiences and to make it about feeling better and better and understanding yourself more and more and more. But the true gifts really begin to occur when you are doing that in order to support other people. And it is this beautiful path of self-work, of spirituality, that the more you learn about yourself and who you are, the more you become capable of understanding and having the capacity to understand that it's actually not about you mm. and that it's about living in with a deeper sense of this oneness that we're talking about, that capital S experience. And if that's an experience that you have, what pearls of wisdom and what, uh, what understandings that you've gathered from your own self-work that can help other people get closer to that? Yeah, and if we're saying that that deeper experience, the essence of it is a sense of oneness, is a sense of being one with the plants and the birds and the trees and one another, then to open the eyes and to go back in the world feeling like you are superior to mm. somebody else, that seems at odds with that. Um, and I think it's, it can be part of the journey. It definitely was part of mine that when... I first having started having certain realizations, it was this very subtle experience of I understand more than you or that maybe I'm above you and everything. And that was part of my journey to be able to come back to that understanding of humility and this really, um, yeah, this, this experience of it's not about me and just because I understand things in a certain way doesn't make me better or worse than anyone else. It just means that, you know, I think our teacher, Baba, has given me the example where he said, well, you know, I asked him, you know, can, can human beings, are we the most capable creatures on the planet or something along those lines? He's like, well, you know, an ant can carry 500 times its body weight. Can you do hmm. that? Hmm. And it just depends on the lens that you're looking through and the perspective that you have uh, that encourages that judgment or um, that comparison. Yeah, and interestingly, as you're talking, what's coming through me is this idea that if spirituality is seeing yourself in everything, mm. knowing that on a deep level we are all connected, then actually that would foster a deep selflessness. And yes. it's kind of like the full circle... Um, journey in our conversation that what on the outside superficially on the surface looks like a selfish act to turn in and focus more time on yourself ultimately leads to us being able to act and be embodied as a more selfless sovereign being in the world mm. independent and taking responsibility for ourselves and really knowing who we are from the depths to the surface but then 
at the same time being able to live in a way that is in harmony with everyone around us. And that is something that, for me, is a, a very um, virtuous journey to aspire towards. Yes, I agree. And a lot of what we're talking about, in my experience, has been that that turning inward, that initial period of selfishness, allows you to be as selfless as you possibly can mm-hmm. and allows you to realise the potential of your selflessness. Uh, another paradox. Yeah, and that's really <laughs> what we're talking about is, you know, the reconciling the paradox of we are the most important thing in the world, but it's also not at all about us. Yeah, <laughs> and forever having having the capacity to hold both. Yeah. It's all about me and it's not about me yeah. at all. And, and, and how gracefully I hold that paradox is, um, is for me the highest uh, embodiment of spirituality. Yeah. And I want to share with you guys um, a beautiful line from um, the Upanishads, um, which are a, a, an old Vedic text, to say the least about them. Um, this is a line that really helps me understand what we're talking about and, and I think it captures it in, in beautiful language. Um, the Upanishads helps the human mind realise the actual unity of consciousness dwelling within the apparent diversity of nature. And they declare that there is only one principle, the absolute truth, which is self-existent and not subject to change, death or decay. One who has realised the truth knows no fear, loves all and excludes none. Mm. And so, you know, the beginning of that talks a lot about this idea of small self, big self, but that last line is what really hits home for me. One who has realised this truth knows no fear, loves all and excludes none. And if, as you hear those words, that feels very idealistic to you, that is the journey, that is the invitation for Mm. me. How do I, each time I have an experience that I might define as deeper, each time I commune with that unknown, purely potential space that everything comes from, do I emerge more fearless, more loving, and more connected to all things, to all people? Do I feel like it makes me kinder? Mm. Does it make me want to create um, more connection and less separation in my life? Then I know I'm on the right path. Yes, and I think that that invitation is the most important part of what we're talking about today. We all need something to guide us through life. And if we don't choose it, the external world will choose it for us. It will either choose it in the form of the way you look, of how much money you make, of the people that you hang out with, the car you drive, whatever it might be, it will be chosen for you. And this self-understanding and the invitation to work towards realising that uh, the truth knows no fear, loves all and excludes none, to me is a much more beautiful way of being in the world. And to have that as your anchor, as your light in the dark, as your north-facing compass is so much more powerful and much more inclusive. Mm. I think that's a beautiful place to end. Um, yeah, and so I'm excited that as we start season two... Um, we're going to dive more and more into beneath the surface and talk a lot more about tantra, about yoga, about spirituality, about nature um, and indigenous wisdom as well. So uh, I think this is an exciting place to start. Yeah, we, uh, we have some awesome guests line up for you guys as well that 
we can't wait to to learn from and and to share and i guess the way of wrapping up this episode a little bit as we did present it with a question mm. as is spirituality selfish the answer is both yes and no <laughs> <laughs> as it will probably be to almost every podcast that we that we record together and that really it is the most selfish and selfless thing that you can do mm. and however that lands for you is going to be part of your journey mm. and is again another invitation to look a little bit deeper into yourself and see what resonates and what this brings up for you and and what you can learn from that yeah so we really invite you into this powerful alchemy to take something that is selfish and make it selfless um the the alchemy that happens within us when when we step towards this this path this question these practices um as always, if this has stirred any questions in you, any feedback, um, we would love to hear that. Please write to us, leave us comments in the show um, notes and uh, yeah, reach out to us through email. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you soon. Yeah, see you soon. Thank you for joining us. To stay connected, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at wavelengthprojects.co. Support Wavelength, share this podcast with friends and family and subscribe to our mailing list at wavelengthprojects.co, the link to which you can find in our description. There you will be able to find further resources and information on our topic and guests. Thank you to Phoenix Manson for our music and production and to all the others who have supported us to make this project possible. And thank you for being here and for amplifying our frequency. We'll see you next time.